0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer Kevin Black. Big episode tonight. This is it, everyone. This is this is the moment the Draft Deeper audience has been waiting for. Not only is this the last episode of my big board series, my final 2022 NBA draft big board. This is the lottery section. These are the top 14 guys. We're going to go over the rankings. Who I have in what order and for the big one i told you he was going to be back for part two there's no one better to walk through the top 14 of my board than the conductor of chaos himself over at no ceilings tyler rucker is joining me tonight tyler are you ready to go to war with me over the rest of my big board tonight
1: could not be more excited folks i mean this is you know people look forward to holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving. And they also look forward to the draft deeper lottery rankings. So pretty much <laughs> etched in history. Uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm amped up. You know, we got 11 days, Nathan. It's unbelievable how quick this finally got around here. And I could not be more excited to, to talk the uh, lottery with you kind sir. How are we, how are we holding up?
0: We are, we are rocking. We're ready to go before We go over the rankings, however, before we do some deep dives. I have to ask you, Tyler, you were out last week representing No Ceilings in full force. Brother, you're at the NBA fucking finals. No Ceilings was represented at the NBA finals. How was your trip out to Boston, sir? How was that experience? Tell the audience about what you were doing out there and and, and how your overall experience was.
1: Yeah, so it it was pretty amazing for anyone that's listened to the no ceilings podcast i kind of talked about it with met cough um you know obviously no ceilings is my number one um the whole team is my number one but uh my job that i also do on the side is cover nba like writing and, and they asked me to go out there for the nba finals which was the easiest yes i've ever given in my <laughs> life um and it was just awesome the, the city was buzzing um you know getting there and it it was basically like waking up watching draft film and then middle of the day being like okay I got to get ready to go watch some NBA finals hoops gosh it was loud there I mean <laughs> the city was buzzing the arena you got in there and it was just like a, a powder keg waiting to explode um you know game 3 was incredible and then you know, I got to see game 4 with Steph that you was- saw you saw one of Steph's
0: greatest games ever in yeah.
1: I mean it it was It's funny because I grew up a Celtics fan I have been my whole life and then I got to work my first job in the NBA with the Warriors and it was kind of just like poetic how it all came together so you know obviously it would have been great to see the Celtics win too but I was I was not complaining I was like cool yeah I got to see a a legendary Steph performance and the Celtics win a game I was like I would have taken that coming out here anytime but um, just crazy because it was so awesome and exciting but then you get you get done with it and i was like okay now i got an extra gear like draft in 11 days let's let's get after it i'm ready to go that final burst of energy i needed so um man what a series it's going to be though and and i'm i'm excited to see how it uh how it shapes up
0: the the day that everybody's hearing this podcast that night will be game five of the finals the series is tied two to two record i know that you you just said it you've been a celtics guy your your whole life any concern from you at all after golden state pulled out that game Four? when i listen i i thought they were going to lose that game like midway through the third quarter and then it just seemed like for whatever is steph was not going to let that team lose and things sort of fell apart for boston i still i feel good that it's definitely going seven games and i kind of thought it was going to go seven games before the series even started is there any concern from you at all the golden state might pull it out are you confident boss is going to be able to win at least one in, in golden state and get the job done
1: yeah i mean it, it's funny that growing up as a celtics fan as i wanted to get more serious with you know like backward violation and now with no ceilings especially you, you try to get rid of the biasy but um you know watching that it was just remarkable because i thought the celtics had a chance to really take control of series And then you saw a point in the game where they just were still, you know, turning the ball over, which has been their problem the whole postseason. And then Steph had that look where I've seen too many times when I worked for the Warriors on game nights. And I was like, Steph has that look where he's not letting his team lose. And he just put forth an incredible performance. I think Boston's going to have a a big game five. I I think Tatum's been struggling this series. He's going to have a bit of a moment of like, okay, I need to, show what I'm made of now like this needs to be my response and Boston's gonna be fired up because you know now they lost the chance to really take control of this they're gonna go back on the road Um, both of these teams have been two of the most impressive teams in the postseason when it comes to you know rebounding after a loss so now it's time for Boston to to make their response but that's also something that's a big deal with golden State, you know you're you're talking about having that minutes down the stretch where Boston looked like, "Hey, we need to take this game, and Golden State was like, "No, we've been here before, we're not going to get rattled, and just a huge performance from Curry and you know Wiggins too was just sensational Andrew they, Wiggins, yes. man,
0: holy hell that that this dude like he has been the second best player for that warrior team. Not everybody's talking about like, he's been the second best player for the team in this series. No, he's been the second best player in for that team in the entire playoff run up to this yes. point. He has been phenomenal this year. True, truthfully, really phenomenal.
1: I, it was, he was very impressive. I thought they needed someone like him um, because Clay had that big game three. And I was like, boy, who how are they going to respond in game four? Like who else is going to step up? And I was like, it's gotta be Wiggins in some capacity. And I thought he was brilliant. He made, some big uh, offensive rebounds to keep possessions alive. Like I think in the pair in the fourth quarter, he had a pair of putbacks um, on the glass. Like, you know, that's what you need to win those games to to grind it out, especially on the road. So. um, You need, you need to
0: be able to execute and make shots at all times when you're going up against the lineup that Boston puts out that has smart white Tatum Brown and Robert Williams that is or whoever you want to summon at the five spot you want to go really small You can play Grant Williams either way like that that quote-unquote death lineup that they have that they can deploy like it is absolutely killed teams throughout this playoff run and you need to be at your best hitting shots because that team can you've watched it the whole year Rucker and especially after they made the trade for Derek White like they can swarm and play defense like no other there are very few holes and when you can defend like that lineup can I mean, that, that, that's, that's how you win championships. The defense wins championships. Yes, you have to hit enough shots, but when you have that versatile of a lineup where you can have somebody like Derek White size able to go on you know, a power forward or a center like what Golden State's throwing out there because they seem to the only want to play small, and you can just cover all of your bases at one time no matter who is defending who. Like, that's what makes this such an interesting series. It's like small against small, and which lineup ultimately going to hit the most shots and, and execute the best.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, I went into the series, like I'm watching these games as just a an basketball obsessor. Like I'm, I have no way. I'm like, okay, this team has to win, or I'm going to be bummed. I'm just taking it in as a fan. And going into this finals, I was like, these two teams are going to be awesome basketball. Cause it's just going to be chess every single game, like making yeah. these adjustments with the lineups with the rotations Um, the defensive rotations like and strategy and I still believe like you know I'm not just saying this because I grew up a Celtics fan I think Boston has the better team but I also think Boston still doesn't have like the the experience that the Warriors have where it's like hey this is the top moment the Celtics are really good at turning the ball over and and kind of just letting games get away from themselves the Warriors have that experience and, and they know like hey if you give us an opening we're going to take advantage of it so it's going to be fascinating to see how boston responds um if if golden state is now going to have that momentum like that's what you want the finals to all be about is game by game just have all the suspense and like who's, who's going to be laying the first punch the next game like who's going to consistently keep throwing jabs the whole night and, and go for the knockout but we'll see it's it's been awesome i love how this finals has been so far i hope we get seven games that's you know, I hope probably so have too. a heart attack because the fan and <laughs> me will come out on Game Seven. But um, I, I'm really excited to see what goes on moving forward.
0: We had we we had to talk about the finals. Yeah, thank you. I, I thank had you. to do
1: it. Like I appreciate I, it.
0: The the little NBA basketball I've been able to talk about this year because the draft has just taken us all by force. I mean. Shit, I, I've had so much fun just doing like the lottery team breakdown pots that, yeah. the, that I've been able to do on this feed. So the fact that we got to just chop it up a little bit about the finals, that, that brings a smile to my face. And hopefully next year we'll be able to talk about some more some more NBA hoops. You, you and I, hopefully we can do more of that in the future. But yes. this podcast, we got to get back on course. This is about my lottery rankings on my final 2022 NBA draft big board. I finished this board a few weeks ago. I said it was done. I'm not tinkering with it anymore. My evaluations are done. The only subtractions that could come off of this board and slide ups would be if anybody would pull their name out of the draft. Our final early entry withdrawal deadline is tomorrow, Rucker. I don't foresee anybody else really pulling their name out that I would have ranked at least in like this top 30. Like I, I think Jovich is... Pretty locked in. I know Raphael Barlow published on NBABigBoard.com. He seems to have a promise somewhere in the teens. So I can't foresee him pulling out. Usman Jang, as you and I have talked about, we especially did in the last podcast, he has so much buzz. Like I think everybody's in. We know who the guys are. So it's now just about ranking him and 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 where we feel we are. And I know that. Um, you and Metcalf have been doing an excellent job in the No sillings NBA feed. You've been going through positional rankings, and I'm sure as we get closer to the draft, you guys are going to go to war even more so with each other than you have already. You've got plenty of mock draft content lined up, so we know what's coming. You guys are going to have your day in the sun. It's This is my turn yeah. on my podcast feed to have my day in the sun, so let's, let's do it. I, I figure we can kind of break this big board down into nice little chunks and we'll talk about a couple players at, at a time as we go along because I feel like there are some real good comparisons to be made as we sort of get into the different chunks of the lottery portion of my big board and we'll start at the back half so we'll work our way all the way up from 14 to 1 the back half back section of my board I got two big men I got two big men ranked or true true big men ranked and then we have obviously we have a bunch of the forwards near the top but the true traditional centers that I have in my lottery. I have Mark Williams at 14 and I have Jalen Duran at 13. I have Jalen Duran ranked one spot ahead of Mark Williams. Rucker, I have been back and forth on that one constantly. I was back and forth probably in my head about five days before I finalized that ranking. I really couldn't make up my mind. And you know that I've been struggling between. Ranking those two specifically in terms of where do I have each other in relation to one another. The mock draft that we did, I took Mark Williams at nine to the San Antonio Spurs. I took him off the board before I took Duran off the board. And Duran's the younger of the two. In my opinion, he has more upside because he's shown more of a better touch. On his shot at, at volume. I know Mark Williams has had a few nice mid-range jumpers, but Durant got to show off more of the shooting touch, in my opinion, at Memphis, especially like January on. He showed more passing flashes out of the short roll and in pick and roll play. We know how athletic of a finisher he can be around the basket. We know he's a transition threat. In my opinion, he's a little bit more switchable on the perimeter, but all of those skills that I've highlighted, Rucker, they're they're not perfect up to this point. Like mm-hmm. He's going to have to go through a developmental process. And the thing that I've said about Mark Williams this whole time is we know who Mark Williams is. And he's probably still going to get better in the NBA. A lot of these guys are going to get better after a few years in the NBA. That's, that's, that's just usually how it goes with professionals. You get better as you get higher higher up, right? And you practice more and you have more time to be able to put in your craft. But we sort of know who he is. But he's really, really efficient at what he does. He's one of the most efficient finishers at the rim in this draft class, 70 plus percent shooter from the field. We know how awesome of a rim protector he is. He could be a dominant rebounder. He's seven foot two. I think he's athletic enough. I do not think he's barbecue chicken on the perimeter with his feet. I know some people wanted to argue that on, on draft Twitter and Metcalf got into it with a few people. I was pumping my fist cheering for him when he was arguing with some people on draft Twitter this past week, because I I don't know why Mark Williams hasn't been getting more positive buzz over the last month. He seemed like he was picking up a little bit of steam in the NCAA tournament run for Duke, but now people have cooled on him and have thrown some more names in there in terms of why would you take Mark Williams in this 14 to 20 range when I could take somebody like Coloco or Kamigate, like in the late first or the early second round, like why would I invest draft capital in Mark Williams? And my response would be, go watch Robert Williams for the Boston Celtics. So we were just we were just talking about the Celtics and one of the most important pieces they've had through this run is having a guy like Robert Williams. And I feel like Mark Williams is the closest thing in this draft to what we're going to come to, to like a Robert Williams type of center. This hyper efficient guy around the basket. We know he can put a lid on the rim. We know he can rebound effectively. He brings the energy. We don't have questions about his hustle or his motor. I feel so confident about the type of player that Mark Williams could be in the NBA and just one of these players. We would look, we could look back like three or four years from now, like why wasn't he like a top six, top seven pick? Like I actually feel that strongly about Mark Williams, but acknowledge Durant has the higher upside. So I guess – Break it down for me, Rucker. Where, where do you see these two in terms of who who do you think is the better prospect to to have right higher? Do you have both of these guys in the lottery on your personal board but what are you, what are your thoughts about these two guys as we head closer to the draft?
1: Yeah, I mean this is one of those debates that I keep going back and forth um, as well, and uh, mark williams i 've been extremely high on all year. Um, people don't like them or people are low on them that's fine i'm still gonna be able to sleep at night but it's just (laughs) one of those situations where like i'm never gonna be someone that's like i'm ever gonna tell someone like you don't know what you're talking about it's just not who i am i'm like hey okay that's your that's your opinion on your evaluation process like yep good luck with your work whatever you want we are positive people and no sales right
0: everybody loves everybody
1: E L E. everybody loves everybody (laughs) but i also like it for people out there there's There's a lot of evaluators I don't agree with that I know that they put in the work and I respect them because they put in that work. So I'm getting off track. Um, Mark Williams, I think is going to be definitely a a heck of a player. I think when you're comparing him and Duran, obviously Duran's younger. Um, He should be getting ready for his freshman year, not about to jump into the NBA. That's how young he is. Um, He's going to have a higher upside for sure, because there's just, raw freakish tools and they're undeveloped he's a he's a ball of clay that's getting shaped right yep. now mark williams is i think the best way to compare the two of them is if you're a team picking in the lottery and you want to win sooner rather than later you're probably going to take mark williams if you're a team that wants to play the long game and develop something that could be special and have star upside you're going to take jalen duran i think it just comes down to that because mark williams um you know when you're talking about comparing him to Robert Williams, I understand what you're saying because it's the low maintenance, high production, high effectiveness, versatile guy. And Robert Williams is an unbelievable playmaker. I don't think, I don't know if Mark will get there, but there's some flashes, but Mark's just going to be one of those guys. If you can insert him to just do his role that he just did last year at Duke at a high level where it's like, he doesn't need a lot of offensive touches. He's a disruptor in the lane. And he can be a force on the boards. You're going to get a heck of a player. And um, I don't agree with everyone that's like, oh, he can't switch. He'd be a nightmare if some guard brings him out. And I'm like, for a guy that's his size and his length to have those feet, that is remarkable to me. Like, I think When, when, when Maxwell
0: awesome. said in our group that like, Mark Williams deserves a purple heart for some of the things that he covered up, defensively for that Duke team with with Paolo and AJ making some of the mistakes they did. And, and Jeremy Roach, not being the best defender out there. Like for what he did, man, he covered so much ground. For yes. that Duke team. It's it's utterly ridiculous how people don't think that, yeah, he might not be like this ultimate switchable guy like Durin could be in the future, but like he, he's not, as I said, he's not barbecue chicken out there. You, no. you can't target him and think that you're going to have your way on somebody who's 7'2", with a, what, like a 7'9", wingspan, some crazy like that, like the nine whatever standing reach that he tested out of the combine. Like the dude's freakishly massive. Like sometimes it doesn't take this – a really impressive set of quick feet. Sometimes it's the fact that as long as you're coordinated and you know how to move and when to move and you're that big, like you can have your way out in the perimeter against some other guys that are going to try to take advantage of you.
1: I I, I just think that Mark Williams is going to be a monster. I, yeah. I really do. I think he's going to be this guy that plays a high-level defense for years to come. Um, and he's just, he's also fantastic with his awareness away from the ball. Like he, he reads plays, He he makes... Some problems happen, and I'm not saying he's going to be this guards one through five because it's so that's just a statement that's very over pumped out there. That it's sometimes just not realistic. Like it's very hard to guard one through five at a high level at the NBA level. Um, but you know, Mark's gonna be fine. He's gonna hold his own out there. Do yep. I think like he's going to get switched on to some veteran point guards and they're going to probably expose him early on? Absolutely. Because that, every that's every damn young man. Yes. Exactly. In the NBA. Like Chet and Jabari and Paulo are all going to have that problem too. Like let's it, it, not be ridiculous. Like rookies have a learning curve for a reason. Um, and, and, and I just like Mark Williams a lot. I I've, I've been a fan um, and, and I'm starting to warm up on Duran. So it's gonna be fascinating with the the debate between both of them, but um, I like if your you're, if you're
0: sitting there with like a pick nine through fourteen, who and and you know you need a big man, like who who would you personally rather draft, Durant or Mark Williams?
1: Well, that's the that's the fascinating debate for me because I think if it obviously it changes team by team, but like San Antonio, if they wanted a big man, like I could still see them being intrigued with. Mark Williams over Duran and and people listening might be like, you're crazy, but it's like, Mark Williams might be, we talked about this before, Nathan, we talked about swinging for the fences and the danger it could be. Mark Williams might be getting a double and Jalen Duran might be swinging for the fences. And and some team might be like, Hey, we just need a big man that is going to stick and play and do the little things for us for a long time. We don't need to swing for this guy that if he strikes out, we, we, are still in the same problem. We might be setting our team back a couple of years. So um, I just think, I think someone's going to fall in love with Mark Williams. I think there's going to be this idea that his impact is potentially what a team's missing in the paint because he, you can't teach size. He's a disruptor without recording a stat and, and I've loved his game. And um, you know, I, I think Duren's a name that's buzzing. I I've heard good stuff about him. So it's just, Gonna be Looks like he was having a fun time in that Portland trouble. Yes, workout. he did. But, I mean, that's <laughs> also a guy that I have Duran. What do I have him? I have him 11th. And I don't feel awesome about it, but I also keep going through my list, and I'm like, but I like all the guys ahead of him. So it's just one of those things where I could see him going super early on the draft because all it takes is one team to believe. But he's a true center that's super raw and needs time. So that could be a tricky place to position him. Like if he got past Portland, it could get to a point where like, okay, if he doesn't go to San Antonio, where is he going? And then you're getting towards the 10, 11, 12. And um, it's just going to be fascinating because they're both great talents. And now I'm going on a rant about big man when we haven't (laughs) even gotten past the first two numbers in the list. So I'm sorry.
0: That's, that, that's where we're going to be at it with this podcast, man. We're, we're just going to rant about the top guys in the draft. We're going to get our feelings out, and we're going to have a little bit of a therapy session over the guys ranked in, in my lottery. This is, this is how I intended this podcast to be, so we can, we can rant away. And speaking of rants, these next two prospects yeah. who I have ranked next to each other, this is, this is a spicy, spicy debate. And I feel like at this point I'm on a little bit of an island with having AJ Griffin ranked this low on my board. I have him 12th and I have Malachi Branham ranked 11th. I have Malachi Branham ranked one spot ahead of AJ Griffin. And some people could think that's absolutely absurd. Here's my line of thinking. And then I will let you jump in with all of your AJ Griffin thoughts and all of your Malachi Branham thoughts. My line of thinking on this one. AJ Griffin has shown me very little that I like on the defensive end. I understand he has better pure size. I understand that right now he probably has a much better chance to absorb contact on bigger matchups at this point than Malachi Branham. And I'm not saying Malachi Branham is a good defender either. He definitely has enough to improve upon on the defensive end as well. Right. But I think that both of them are strikingly in a very similar boat defensively. I I don't trust either of them on the defensive side of the ball, probably in their first year in the NBA, maybe even going into their second year and possibly into the third year in the NBA. Like I, I I don't feel good about them. If you're drafting them to contribute on the perimeter defensively, I don't feel good about where you're at in that evaluation. Like I, I I would say that you're drafting one of these two guys for their offensive impact on the wing or in the backcourt and if we're talking about who could possibly end up doing more on the offensive end, I think that's Brandon. I Metcalf, you've talked about it with him. We've all read the pieces on no ceilings. He did a tremendous job breaking down not just Brandon's scoring versatility, but also what he can do in the passing game and how sneaky good of a passer and playmaker he is and how he's developing running pick and roll. And I think that could possibly be a role for him in the NBA, him being kind of like a secondary ball handler in those actions, making plays for others, not just going to his pull-up or his floater or anything around the basket. We know he's a three-level scorer, but I, I think he's got some real passing chops, and I think he's another one of these guys who's really young, and he showed us way more than I think any of us could have possibly expected out of his first year at Ohio State. I think it's it's not only the shooting and the incredibly efficient levels of shooting he showcased from all three areas on the floor, it's also that passing craft and that versatility. And I I don't see the same things from AJ Griffin. I don't. I, I see a guy who's really awesome off the catch, either immediately shooting because he has some of the best shot prep in this class, or if he's got a lane to be able to go to the basket off the quick rip that he can he can kind of catch and drive and, and get to a shot that way. But really. Those are the main ways that I'm seeing him generate offense. Um, And right now I don't see the same level of shake that he had going back to high school. I don't, I don't see further development in the ball handling ability. I know you might have different opinions about some of that shake and some of that one-on-one creation, but I, I didn't see that player. The more and more I dug back into the tape, the more I did see that player. I understand areas where he's also incredibly efficient shooting the basketball and within those two play types. I just think Branham can do more right now. And I think he's going to be able to do more. I think there's more skill. There's more craft to his game. So that's why I have Branham one head a spot, one spot ahead of AJ Griffin. Where are you at on both of those prospects? Talk to me.
1: I don't think it's that crazy. Now I'm going to try to not go 40 hours with this rant, (laughs) but I don't think this is that crazy. And, And for everyone that's like, you know, the meme where a guy's taking off the headphones. It's like, no, just, just hold on. Let me, let me talk for a little bit and then you can do that later if you want. Um, the thing with this draft is there's probably eight, seven or eight guys that could go sixth or 13th. Yep. Like it, it is. And you could see those guys in any order. And it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't, like, I wouldn't bat an eye. Like, like Nathan, you have AJ at 12. If someone had him at 7, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Like, it's just a crazy year. It's going to be chaos. There's so much, you know uncertainty with a lot of these guys. And, and, and,
0: and you, you and I have also, for the record, like you and I have heard some things behind the scenes. And a lot of what we were hearing was confirmed by Dan Purcell on my last podcast for Pelicans executive, where he's, he's basically like speaking it into existence on the pod. they like, A.J. Griffin's not going to slide past 10. Like, I think, like, he, he strongly feels from what he's heard and people who he's talked to, like, the Wizards are kind of like his floor. So, I'm ranking somebody outside of their projected draft range at this point. Right. Like, I, I think AJ Griffin probably is going to go in that six to 10 range. And as you're talking about, there are a bunch of guys we can throw into this conversation.
1: But it's funny because there's a lot of fans out there that don't realize, like, oh, a big board means you can have a guy <laughs> lower than where he's supposed to get drafted. And it's like, I love everyone for doing that, but we've had, I've had people like yell at me over just like my big board rankings being like, he's not going 12th. And I'm like, this is a damn big board. This is not a mock draft. Right. So, um, you know, we're ranking them as how we see them as prospects. And I think the, the one thing I could say about talking about like Branham versus Griffin that I think you, you hinted at really well is, Bram has some more versatility right now that I would be intrigued with the raw upside. Like there's uh, there's versatility upside in a number of different areas when it comes to like his playmaking, his shooting, his patience off the dribble, his tough shot making. Like there's, there's a lot of tools intriguing. His, his, uh, defensibility needs some work, but there's flashes of, you know, talent on that side of the ball as well. AJ's been one of the more fascinating prospects to evaluate this whole process because it's just been such a weird year like a slow start and then all of a sudden just an absolute lethal year shooting the ball from outside the up and down play where it's like he had 20 this game then he has like 10 the next and you're like okay which version am I getting yeah he can shoot the crap out of the ball I do believe there is some offensive wiggle that wasn't fully able to show like this year like he he can get the ball in a triple threat. And if he wants to get by a guy, he can hit a guy with a couple of hesitations. And it's very, very impressive. So yep. it wouldn't shock me if at the next level, he showcases that a little bit more, but saying that we're going off this idea with AJ of like, okay, was it just the system? And he's going to be way better at the NBA level, which then makes you start, you know, second guessing yourself. You're like, or is this just who he is is he just a shooting you know floor spacer with a little bit of offensive like upside that um we're still going to have some questions about moving forward so i don't think it's unrealistic to have him where you have him on your big board because you know i've had times where i'm like hey i i like some of these guys ahead of him like he could go later but There's also a lot of buzz you get around like guys like, Hey, they're top 10. They're not getting out of the top 10. This guy's not getting out of the top 10. It's like, okay, well, if you keep adding, like, if you tell that about 14 guys, someone's getting out of the top 10. So um, I still think AJ's upside is his bloodlines, his NBA ready frame. He's going to be a guy that definitely is going to go probably early, but it doesn't mean we can't have him later. Go ahead. Nathan.
0: I was just going to ask do you you think in, in your personal opinion that, we're going to look back two years from now, and AJ Griffin will have definitely outplayed his draft position based solely on the fact that because of those injuries in high school, and this is something I asked Tommy D as well, and I'm sure I'm going to get into um, with at least one other guy from from those ceilings on this podcast feed this week, that because he missed all those to- all that time due to the injuries, that he just lost time developing on the court and seeing things from different perspectives and different parts of the floor and being able to grow just from an eyes perspective, like him seeing and processing the game at a higher level. Do you think that after two years of NBA coaching, he's going to be at a point where a lot of those concerns are more or less wiped away and we can see just a a more developed player based on that and that he's going to outlive any of my expectations, just based on the fact that he's gotten that development time, he can process the game a lot quicker and faster on both ends. I
1: I, I think it could be for sure because um, I'm right there with you, Nathan. I have him like I have him eighth, I think. So it's like I have him lower than some people have him way high, and um, like I've wanted to move him down, but I also could see like AJ is in a position where he could go to a number of teams in the top ten where it could be really good fits for him like for his development where you're talking yep. about, like he could go somewhere slowly kind of get his confidence built. And Like the, the new nice Orleans,
0: basketball. the new Orleans yes. fit. Wouldn't be bad. I think, I think the San Antonio fit might actually be my favorite fit for him yes. because they, they have a number of guys in that lineup that he would slot into who can make plays for others and they can make things happen off the bounce. AJ is, that incredibly steady catch-and-shoot guy, who we know that even if some of these other things don't break right for him, you know that he's still going to be awesome catching and shooting the basketball at the NBA level. He's proven he can do it at an astronomically high level for a freshman in college. That, that part of his game will, will definitely be there at the NBA. So at the very least, I think he, he spaces the floor for everybody else in that Spurs team, and he better complements what everyone else does, and they in turn make up for some of the flaws, at least that he has in his game right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you get 8-9. Um, I like the Knicks as a fit, and I even like Washington as a fit in, in yep. some ways. So, like, he could go to a couple places for sure that I think it would be good for his development, and he can really turn it into something. But he's also going to be a guy that, you know, if he starts to get in that area, someone might be wanting to get up and try to trade for him because he just has those tools, you know. Yep. Um, I definitely see a world where we could look back and say, man, A.J. Griffin three years later turned into a heck of a weapon but I also could see Branham being in that same conversation because he's got those tools too. So, um, I don't think it's that crazy. I like it, you know, and I'm not just trying to be a, a nice guy and be your friend. I, I, I like the boldness. <laughs> I like putting your, your foot out there and saying like, yeah, like I, I like Branham a little higher because Branham's got some really nice tools. It, one of those guys, if they click defensively, it's going to make them a, a whole another monster. And I could really see one of them happening where it's like, okay, they finally start to get it defensively and, and stop teasing the potential, but they start to really click and, and set in as a defensive weapon. So, um, so far, I like it so far. I'm not worried about checking you into a insane asylum. I promise.
0: Yeah. But, but buckle up on our Yeah, we're, really getting, get we're getting, we're getting there. I know it's coming in, in here. So let's, let let's get a little more intense. Let's let's keep going with number 10 who I have Jeremy Sohan out of baylor i think a lot if you would have told me that like three months ago that i have jeremy sohan inside my top 10 i i would have wanted to smack him but now we're here we we saw enough especially in the second half of the year baylor when he got opportunities to handle the basketball not only in transition but even in the half court playing point guard for that team running pick and roll sets we've seen some of the passing craft the awareness the IQ we know what this guy can do defensively and regardless of some of the scoring and shooting concerns that you have about his offensive game this dude has the chance I'm I'm not gonna put my stamp on this in terms of how I did with some other guys in last year's draft but I'm gonna say it's definitely possible that he becomes a one through five defender in the NBA I, I think he's gonna have one through four that he can defend I think the fives, it's going to take a while for him to get there. He just has to physically get to a point where he can handle some of the bigger fives in the NBA to at least hold his own against, but he's got a shot to be one of those really, really special one through five defenders in the NBA. And when you factor in some of the IQ stuff, the handle, the passing ability, the fact that the shot doesn't look broken to me. And that was one of the things that was buzzing out of his workouts was that people think the shot's going to be there within his first few years in the NBA. If this guy can put buckets in on top of everything else he brings to the table at his size and with his length, man, that's, that's a player. I I might even be possibly on the low end having him at 10, but this is a guy, I mean, Rucker, he's getting buzz all the way up there like six, seven, eight, like definitely higher than where I have him on my board. Are you concerned though? This is my question for you about Sohan. Are you concerned with drafting a guy in the top 10 with at least at this current moment in time with those scoring and shooting questions that everybody has about him right now.
1: He's he's becoming the Patrick Williams, you know, like just the late humongous yeah. rise of all of a sudden it's like okay, he's in the top 6 conversation and, and I think it's the idea that NBA teams always fall in love with where they want to get that versatile defender. They want to get that Swiss army knife that has really intriguing upside to be just a, a nice two-way weapon that really brings the team together. You know, like yeah. I, I keep thinking like if, if so hand- landed with new orleans me and you have talked about this off the air nathan like oh, if, the
0: small ball yes. lineup that they could have holy shit that would be awesome
1: but then everyone's going to start drinking that kool-aid and think about it like san antonio we've heard some fans even say like no they don't need him and it's like tell that to the spurs if, if sohan <laughs> literally was their you know power forward that could guard multiple positions for eight years straight they would every fan base would be drooling i I get a little nervous when it's, it's drafting on an idea um, when you're talking about like top seven, but I understand you you
0: can, you can make an argument by the numbers that like, he literally doesn't have touch. And like, I, I understand like the film and like watching some of the workouts, like all that stuff makes the shot and his, his touch look better than what the numbers say, but the numbers lay out an argument when we're not not just talking about like the jump shooting but like the finishing around the basket the floaters like you can make an argument that the dude doesn't have touch let alone like being able to shoot from the perimeter
1: yeah he he needs to get to points where he's like putting up 12 8 and 7 like yeah. and, and being a defensive monster like that's where if he could get to a point where he's not the guy you're giving the ball offensively to you know, feed him at the end of a game to get buckets. But if he's wide open on a pick and pop and and he can hit that shot, like the PJ Tucker vibes where it's like PJ Tucker does his role at a high level when he's open, it's bad news for the defense because he can hit that outside shot. But Sohan also has serious upside to be like a playmaking weapon. He has, um, he can take it off the bounce and and also has some nice feel around the basket. So I think there's some really intriguing upside. Like I keep saying all year, he's giving me like Boris Diaw vibes. So I, I understand teams getting drunk on that idea because, like we we talked about before, this is the range that everyone's gonna be a little all over the place because there's so many names that could go from like six to fourteen. Like they could just go in any order. Sohan could go sixth. He could go. Tenth, like it's just he, he and, could go
0: twelve. He could go fourteen. Yes. Like he, he so, could drop th- theoretically. Like we don't think it's going to happen, but like because of some of the offensive concerns that you and I have, like he could realistically drop further than what we expect on draft night.
1: It's just the outside shot. If someone's convinced that he his shot will come along, like they're going to check, they're going to say this guy's got too many positives that we're just so intrigued about where it comes like to his defensive versatility. I'm agreeing with you. I think he will be able to do like one through four defensively early, but it's going to take some time to him to be able to adjust to like fives. And he's a big boy. He's strong, but it's just when you're, you know, six, nine and, around that weight you all of a sudden got to learn to how to deal with you know bigs are smart in the nba they've got a bag of tricks and you got to learn how to defend them so
0: if you aren't accustomed to defending fives full-time it's it's something that like the big men that we have in the nba they're going to be able to foul you out to death right like that that's really what i would be most concerned about not that he can't you know body somebody up a little bit maybe contest a shot if they're going to, to to like a a hook or something like that. Not that they, he can't bother a shot, but the footwork that a lot of these big men have in the NBA who are actual post scorers, they will find ways to get crafty, creative, The and like they, they will, they will find ways to foul Jeremy Sohan out of games. If if he's not ready to, to deal with some of that, not just the physical stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and you're starting center in the league. You're probably one of the best ones in the league. So there's going to be plenty of guys you got to deal with on a nightly basis that could give you problems. Like Sohan having to guard Bam out of bio, Bam would understand how to get Sohan in foul trouble quick. Bam's
0: yeah, Bam's <laughs> footwork is so good. He'll go to like one spin move and Sohan will be late to react because he won't expect that that move is happening at that speed that Bam can execute it at. And right. Bam will be like, that's one foul. Let me just get it. Let, let's go down the floor and then let me come back and then I'll give you the other foul.
1: Exactly. So um, I like him a lot. I I, I really do think like, it's not going to shock me when he goes top 10 and I like where you have him on your board um, because he, he really does have those tools that if someone is just convinced that the shot will come along he checks too many other boxes and I really do think like that's the that's if, if he clicks that's the weapon that every team is drooling to have like in their you know as a complimentary piece I'm not saying he's ever going to be the guy for his team but he's also the guy that wins you playoff series because he's in your starting five. Like he, you put him in at the end of the games because he's going to make winning plays. And he also has that upside. So you need um, those guys
0: too. It's these playoffs now, now more than ever, really the last two to three years, it's just, and this is a trend. I, there's a part of me that hates that it's going this way because I love small guards who can really cook other guys, but this league is just transitioning to this point where like everybody on the court's got to be like six, five or taller. And if that's the case, like you need these big, strong, versatile defensive guys to just be able to hold your own on on the court on, 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 both sides of the ball. You need to be able to cover so many different guys because there's so many, so many players on the court with size, with skill, who can handle the basketball, who can hit perimeter shots. Like you need to have like three to four guys who are like six, seven or taller to be able to check everybody else who the other team's throwing out on the other side of the ball. Like where where the league is going in terms of size and skill is insane. And getting a guy like Sohan in the draft who can guard all these different positions, no matter how tall the player is at said position, it's just becoming more important. And that's why I think I have to have him inside my top 10.
1: I completely agree. I think you're you're spot on because the league is always going to hunt a new type of weapon or direction. It's a copycat league. So, yep. if they see a type of player that has that versatility on both sides of the ball to become a dynamic weapon, the teams that next year are going to look for that. And if they find it with someone like Sohan and teams believe he could be that they're going to be drooling to get him. And, and it's, that's why I'm not surprised to see that his name's buzzing and his stock is rising because every team wants it because they feel like it, it gives them a potential advantage. So um, I love it, Nathan. I love having him uh, where you do. I need you,
0: I need you to go to war in this next pairing that we're going to talk about. On yeah, the I, too- I can
1: already see this. This is going to get ugly, folks. It's Fuck two wings.
0: It's two wings. Number nine is Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. And number eight is Shane Sharp, the, the Kentucky man, the not Kentucky man, however you want to classify him. I have Shane Sharp at number eight. Now, Sharp is falling. Sharp is falling quickly in terms of buzz as to where he's actually going to go on draft night. The hot rumor is that Oklahoma City's like circling him with the 12th pick. Everybody thinks that he may very well fall to twelve. In the actual draft Dan Purcell was just on, he gave some of the same idea that he's not a big Shane Sharp guy. He's not somebody who is obsessed around the mystery of a prospect. He wants a more well-known commodity. And if that's the direction you'd want to go, I would imagine that that, that type of person would have Benedict Mathrin hire on their board. I think with Sharp, it's going to be a little bit. You have to be patient. You have to develop him the right way. If he comes along and he hits his apex outcome in the NBA, at least from an offensive standpoint, we're talking about a star. We're talking about a guy who already has the craft to be able to go, um, hit fade, hit step back, fade away jump shots from, from either side of his body, no matter where he is outside the three-point arc. He has that pull-up craft. He can operate out of the pick and roll. He can get downhill, get to the basket. He's one of the better off-ball transition finishers um in this class at least just in terms of some of the tape that you and i have been able to evaluate there's a lot to like and then you throw in the athletic package the fact that he is six six with length like there's a lot to like about him but where he's at in terms of processing the game being a average to net positive player on the defensive side of the ball just some of the things that that come with the growing pains of actually coming into the league at his age and the fact that he's another one of these guys similar to Durham like he should be getting ready for a freshman year in college not necessarily going to the NBA he's really young and he's gotten to a great point in his career he's going to be entering the league at such a young age to the point where like he's going to be up for like a contract extension he's going to be like 21 going into 22 whereas some of these guys are 22 23 sometimes like 24 going to like a a contract extension after the first four years in the league so like we'll we'll see what happens for sharp in the future but i think the upside is tantalizing enough for me to have him ranked inside the top eight but there is a legitimate case to be made that matherin should be ranked ahead of him and possibly even higher than, than like number eight, for example. So I know you're going to make that case, Rucker. I know you've been a Matherin guy this entire season. You're not the only one who's been a Matherin guy at no ceiling. Stephen Gillespie this the co-host on, on Draft Deeper. While he's gone, we'll, we'll give our best wishes to Steven. But he made his impassioned case about Benedict Matherin multiple times on this podcast feed. And I have a feeling you're about to do the same. So where are you at on, on these two guys in particular? And who, who would you rather draft higher between the two?
1: Yeah, so I'll start with Matherin because Sharp could get a lengthy conversation. <laughs> um, Matherin, I like a lot. I understand everyone that has him in a wide range. But it, my biggest thing with Matherin is, you know, I got to see him in person this year. Um, I've watched a lot of Arizona's basketball, like up close and personal. He's stocky. He's he's built. He's tough. He's nasty. Um, watching the the development that came from his freshman year to this year, going from Sean Miller's system to all of a sudden Tommy Lloyd, who is a little, his system was a little bit more like NBA speed, like push the pace transition, get out and run. And you just saw, it was just like Matherin was, you know, getting to breathe for the first time. It was unbelievable. Just how much fun and loose he looked on that court. Um, He's a dangerous weapon. I mean, he gets out and runs and he can attack the basket. He's got sneaky athleticism and he's not afraid to go right at people. And, you know, he could shoot the cover off the ball. I think he's a much better shooter than his numbers will even suggest because Arizona had him running off screens. They had him running off pick downs. They had him running from sideline to sideline and and shooting on the move. Like they had him doing everything. So I think he's going to be a much more effective shooter at the next level. Um, I still think someone's going to fall in love with him and he could go a little earlier. Like I still think... Indiana. Um, I don't know if Detroit would do it at five, but I think Detroit would be a fascinating fit. Um, Portland's he, in
0: play at seven firmly. If they keep that pick, like he is absolutely in play for them.
1: He, he could be there. Um, it, it, he just is a, I still think there's a lot of upside with his game. I think there's serious ability defensively. He just needs someone to coach it. And I think he kind of took some plays off because you know, of what Arizona was having him do on the offensive side of the ball, he's like, shit, I need to I need to regroup and get some energy back in me. But um, when he's engaged, he can be a pest. And there you watch that USC game this year, he's got playmaking upside. So I like Matt Thurne a lot. Um Okay, here we go. So here we go. Jaden Sharp. <laughs> is becoming the international man of mystery, or not international. He's becoming the man of mystery um, when it comes to this draft class. And and here's the thing with Sharp. I'm not surprised at all by the buzz that he could fall, because this is exactly what happens. We get really excited about this new prospect. NBA teams get excited, like, we're like, Oh gosh, he's got superstar upside. This guy could be an absolute monster. I agree. He's got special tools. He could be really nasty, but this is the unknown and this is the time of the year where the unknown starts to scare front offices because they don't know if this is a guy that they swing on and he just is, doesn't happen. And you swing on him in the top five, top six, that's, potentially something that gets you fired or that's something that sets your team back three years. So I'm not shocked that he's getting a little bit of, you know, teams are thinking he might slip towards that seven to maybe even down to 12 range. I don't think he's going to end up being on the board because someone would trade up for him because they'd be like, Hey, this is too big of a swing. Like this could click and be just something special, but it's fascinating because you still hear that some teams towards the top, have a lot of fans like some some shocking teams that I've heard are like no they really really like and I'm like okay that could shake things up a bit so it's going to be interesting to see because all it takes is one team to fall in love with you and all it takes is one team to say screw it we we have the guts we're going to take them um
0: not not in relation to Matherin is is eight on my board too high too low or just right as as Corey likes to ask on the draft deck
1: I don't think it's too low and and people might be saying this guy's a top five pick, but I, I still got a lot of questions. I had him ninth. So you're a better man than me. (laughs) Um, I had Matherin seventh. I had AJ Griffin eight and I had sharp nine. So I just, there's some questions. The more I've watched of him, the more questions pop up and I watch him and I, my jaw, I got to pick up, off the ground five times and because you, you just see him with the athleticism the explosiveness what he can do in transition the shots beautiful but there's a lot of in between game stuff that has some serious questions Yep. Yeah. um and, and the more you watch the more those questions are popping up so i think teams are watching that and this is my biggest thing my last thing and i'll wrap this up with sharp if you're drafting sharp it's not just coming down to you have trust with your coaching staff you got to have trust with your front office you got to have trust with your coaching staff you got to have trust with your developmental staff everyone's got to be on the same page to develop this kid because he's going to take a while to adjust to this game so you have to have a multiple years of plans and and it's got to be like we're by this month, we want to see this. By this month, we want to see him taking strides in this area. And you have to stay patient. So that's why I think it's going to be challenging because you have to, if you're picking up at the top of the draft, you have to really stress like, hey, if he doesn't take any strides the first year, we still got to just be patient, let him have a full off season, and not freak out because those teams picking the top five, you don't want to pick there again next year you want to be getting out of that you want to be progressing towards not being in the lottery so um that's all i'm saying i'm not going to be surprised if he goes super early still because someone's going to look at his tools and be like my goodness this is a potential star but i'm also not going to be surprised if he slips is there any
0: one fit that would stand out to you in particular like i i tried to make the case and i guess this this isn't going to happen according to intel but i tried to make the case that new orleans would be a decent fit for him on my last podcast because the new Orleans just, they have so many weapons all ready to go, right? You have Zion um, who's apparently going to be coming back. I guess there, there, was just a tweet that I saw as we're recording this, he's reportedly prepared to sign like a $186 million extension. Like we know that he's probably going to be back in the fold. You already have Ingram, you have McCollum, you traded for now they have weapons to go out there and win basketball games right now to kind of give Shane Sharp time in the background to develop. And by the time you get a few years down the road and the Pelicans have done a better job of adding more veteran pieces, more role players to the team. Now all of a sudden you might be able to whip out Shane Sharp and insert him in a lineup. And it's like a fourth star just appears out of nowhere on this team. And now we're talking about like where this league is at from a talent perspective, Rucker, where you have to have like, Really, really good players everywhere in your starting lineup. Sharp could all of a sudden come out of nowhere, still on a fairly cheap contract in relation to what his talent might be, like two years down the road, and you can pop him into the lineup or have him as one of your first guys off the bench. And you just you add to that ridiculous talent base that New Orleans seems to be building. So, like that, that was my argument for it. I feel like they could go after a more win now player like an AJ Griffin or a Benedict Mather on the wing or a Dyson danos would fall. But like, you can also take a shot on somebody like Sharp because you have so many other tools in the toolbox to be able to deploy at any given night. And you might look back two years and now you can throw Shane Sharp out there with all those other guys that you've already developed.
1: That's probably my favorite idea for him um, because of everything you're saying is what I agree with. Because I, I also think if a guy falls, you get to a point where your team, where you're like, hey, this isn't, this is probably the best player available, but this is the best upside. Like, we, we have the the situation New Orleans is in compared to most of those teams in the top 10. They have the luxury of taking a swing. And,
0: and I and would say Sohan, by the way, for a lot of those same reasons, too. Not the same situation, but... Similar in the sense that like Sohan, we know he's not going to be ready to put up like 15 to 20 points per game in the NBA right out of the gate either, but you develop him for a few years, you give him reps defending with some of those other guys, and you might be able to look down the road, and you and I have talked about it off air, like the small ball lineup that they could deploy, like it's a, it's a similar argument, like you're just adding to the talent base in a way that's unique and in a way that not a lot of teams in the Pelicans position are, are generally in a position to do in the draft with where they're at right now.
1: And that's exactly my point, Nathan, because take let's let's run with this for a little. Like say New Orleans is on the board and Shaden Sharp and Sohan are there. I think everyone would quickly say, Hey, Shaden Sharp's automatically got the pick. And I'd be like, No, that's that's not true at all, because you have to take into consideration with the roster. Now, New Orleans could say, Hey, this kid has superstar upside. We have the luxury of all these weapons and, and how we've built this team to take the swing on Sharp, because if he doesn't hit, we're still going to probably be fine. But they also might look and say, Sohan, if he doesn't click offensively right away, he's still going to come in and be able to help us as a defensive He's going to defend his ass off. And and he can play make, he can see the floor. He's going to contribute early on, probably earlier than, you know, someone like Sharp. So, that's also like the early impact where Sharp might be down the road. You know, maybe he takes two years to finally find his footing. Now, he could become a star, but if he strikes out and isn't hitting, then you're all of a sudden like, okay, well, is he going to help us in any way? Sohan still might be helping you in a number of different areas while his shot is developing. So that's that's where it comes down to with Sharp, where I think a lot of teams are going to start, you know, weighing the pros and cons. Like I, I still think Indiana would be an intriguing option at six, but they could still have that same debate where it's like, are we comfortable with the long-term approach or do we think he can be a guy that, you know, is in our rotation off the bench early on, even if he's going to take some time to to find his footing. So it's going to be a fascinating debate with him. I, I don't know what direction um, – some of these teams, you're going to have to be willing to take a serious swing. And, and I'm not really sure right now which team that's going to be. But um, – and you get to, like, if he got to New Orleans, um, that's definitely one that I would keep my eye on because I don't they, think – They are the
0: most fascinating team, in my opinion, in the locker Yes. Without and, and, without question.
1: And I don't think someone like Portland's going to take Sharp. Even no. everyone's like, hey, they need him. It's like, well, I don't think they're going to say, hey, Dame, here's a – 18-year-old that hasn't played in two years or 19-year-old that played, you know. The only way they take him is if
0: they know that they're trading Damian Moore. and they're like, we're just going to blow this up. We're going to start from scratch with Simons and, and Sharp. And like, that's where we're going. But like, well, I don't think he, that's going to happen.
1: If he was on the board at seven, Portland's calling everyone and says, <laughs> best offer. What do you want? Like at best offer gets them. Whoever wants them. Here's I'm re- we're ringing the dinner bell. and You can come get shade and sharp. And that might be. Sam Presti going up from 12. The, the,
0: the interesting thing, and I will pose this, this question to you since we, we brought up the fact of the trade. So Detroit, we, we've been seeing some of the buzz on social media and from some of the people that we've been able to talk to that there's some, there's some sense around certain sources that they're kind of operating like they're going to have a second pick in the lottery, and we've been hearing the Jeremy Grant to Portland rumors forever now, at least it feels like forever, the last like month and a half to two months if Detroit gets that pick number seven and they can take another player in the top seven, are they the team that would take sharp at this point earlier than expected?
1: I think if you get there for sure, like that would make some sense to me, but it it also really just will depend on how the rest of the board plays out. But I still I don't know if I'm fully buying into that rumor. So we'll, we'll have to see if that really happens. So I don't know if I've been – this is a popular time of the year where every report I'm hearing, I'm like, okay, let me, let me put those all the How many in trades that have list. we
0: already heard about? Like Sacramento yeah. and OKC, like the Portland, Detroit stuff. We heard about some other teams getting in the action, like multiple lottery picks. The Knicks want to move up for – like the, the amount of trade rumors I think I've heard to this point of the year, Rucker, like I can't remember a draft. That 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 I've had the luxury of covering to where I've heard this many trade rumors in the lottery. Like, and and we don't know that that a lot of them are going to happen. Like, there there are some really good people out there who work for like ESPN, for example, who think like multiple lottery picks are going to be moved in this draft. That that rarely ever happens. But if there was a year for stupid crazy stuff to happen, this would definitely be the year. And you and I have talked off air like we're prepared for some shenanigans to happen on draft night during our no ceilings. Uh, live draft stream we're we're prepared for the madness but there just seemed like a ridiculous number of rumors this year you have you you remember a draft where you've heard this many trade rumors up to this point we're not even like in draft week yet
1: no it's early this this, i will tell everyone right now if you thought you heard some rumors before just wait till this yeah Yeah. starting tomorrow you'll be shocked one day it'll start it'll be an avalanche it'll just start hammering home because it's They usually come out every Monday and then they hammer them throughout the week. And it's just, that's how it's going to be. But there has been a lot of buzz and a lot of smoke building up to this. And that's just because I I really do believe there's so much uncertainty with a wide range of this draft. Like it's not going to be shocking to me if we get out of the lottery and teams are trying to maneuver themselves all over the board because they're going to be, higher on this guy than the other team and teams are going to be wanting to trade down because the guy they like is, you know, six picks later potentially on other teams boards. It's going to be crazy, but I agree with you. Like this week, this week buckle up. I would not shock me if there's rumors flying left and right. And I could see a lot of teams even trading um, in the lottery, just, just trying to move around, trying to get, Another piece, I could see some teams trying to trade out. They want some assets, so it's going to be fascinating.
0: So let's move ahead.
1: Let's move ahead
0: to a player, number seven on my board. He has worked out with as high as number four in this draft, the Sacramento Kings. He's been working out for a number of teams lately. He's impressed a number of not only just teams, but any scouts that you and I could talk to have really warmed up to Dyson Daniels being one of the crown jewels. Of this draft class I have him number seven on my board I have a number of big 10 guys ahead of him but the idea of Daniels as high as four was crazy to me would have been crazy to me like a month ago, but then you get the time that you and I do to have these these late night film sessions that I know for a fact you and I have had over recent weeks we had time to, to go back and watch some film that maybe we weren't paying as closely attention to during the live college season. And you watch some of these Ignite games and I've had the pleasure of seeing somebody like Daniels up close and, you see all the tools you put the game together, this really versatile six, seven ball handler who can be a lead guard. And once he gets downhill and pick and roll, it's really hard to keep him from getting to the basket, or even if you wall him off, he has a really good footer he can go to. Developing outside shooter was getting more comfortable with the one-two triple pull-up. And oh, by the way, he might be the best one through three defender in this entire draft class. Like he is a monster on the perimeter active active hands plays the passing lanes really well can wall you off from an individual standpoint what really isn't to like about Dyson Daniels and what Rucker why shouldn't I have him higher on my board why why do I only have him at
1: seven like where
0: where are you at on on the Dyson Daniels madness at this point because the buzz is the buzz is ridiculous at this point where where are you at with him
1: yeah he he was on my last big board. I had him at ten so i l i and it's not that I don't like him at all it's um it's just one of those guys I've moved back and forth with like I could see myself at at the very end and I'm getting to that point where I'm gonna have Daniels higher than this because i love I love the young prospects that showed rapid development throughout the year and and that's exactly what happened with Daniels um i think that's a good spot for him like i'm looking at your board and i'm not just saying this i think that's a great position for him because you're talking about six seven he has the versatility to play multiple positions in the backcourt um one of the best defensive wings in this class and just the the basketball intelligence and feel for the game that he has is absolutely special so I think Daniels is a guy that is well-deservingly getting all this buzz and is trending up in the, um, in the draft. And, and, and I really am going to be fascinated because I think he could go – I think someone is going to shock us and, and take him early. I don't know who it's going to be. Now, we've been hearing buzz about him going in the top five. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it wouldn't shock me. You know what, um,
0: dude? I fully expect the Kings to do something absolutely crazy i draft that. I know our, our good friend, Nick, at No. films would probably love for them to just stay in the spot, take Ivy and, and move on with life. I get the feeling that that's not going to happen. The more and more I think about what the Kings have done and what they're likely to do.
1: Yeah. We need to start like paying the Kings some respect. Can we just leave them alone? <laughs> They've been through enough over the years. I can't stand how everyone just it's their track the- record,
0: man. It's what they oh. do. It's, it's what they do. Like, why? Why do I get the feeling that that they're they're not they're they're not going to take and Ivy at four if they're there? Why do I get the feeling they're going to go off the board?
1: Yeah, I could see something like that happening. Um, we're gonna get some buzz this week. We're gonna get some buzz next week. That's it's gonna be hilarious. So,
0: Jer- Jeremy Sohan just posted a photo. He's out in Sacramento. They're working him out. Like, I. I I'm telling you man this is what Sacramento does. They blow our minds every year during the draft. This is what they do. They're good at it. They're great at it. It
1: it wouldn't surprise me if they took someone like that, but um when I'm talking about Daniels, but again like come on guys. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I I I I Sacramento is a whole another headache if I go down that road too far, I'm going to I'm going to really really have an unpleasant evening so but But like like
0: indiana like indiana at six yeah that makes him and Halliburton. like those two on the floor at the same time holy smokes talk about the iq the ball handling ability passing ability like to just constantly keep the ball moving like the type of offense they could build around those two guys now we're now we're talking about a very modern nba offense where the ball doesn't stick it's constantly moving and everybody's getting the best shot possible
1: that's probably one of my favorite fits for him because I would absolutely love that idea of, of him joining that backcourt. Um, and I still like that. I it's, it's funny you go through the order and you keep finding teams and you're like, yeah, Dyson Daniels could work there. Yeah. Dyson Daniels could work there. Like he just, he's going to be one of those assets that he's got some really special tools and upside to, to be a heck of a talent and a heck of a piece for his next team. So, um, i i you're, nathan you're, your board's great you know I, I like it i'm not gonna i would be the quickest one to jump all over you and be like what are you talking about but i don't have a problem with any of these rankings right now
0: well we got two more chunks to get through so yeah bear, bear with me there's there's the six through four chunk and then there's the three through one chunk where i'm sure everybody can put together the names of who's probably going to be in the three to one chunk but the six through four chunk is is very divisive at this point, because I have Johnny Davis at number six, I have Keegan Murray at number five, and I have Jay Nivey at number four. These are three Big Ten guys who, they have the bodies of work, man. They really do. They have incredible bodies of work coming out of the Big Ten Conference, a conference that is known for archaically built offenses with defensive schemes designed for nothing but double and triple teams and these crazy-ass zones that force individual offensive engines. They they try to force the ball out of those guys' hands or they make their lives an absolute living hell. It's very, very hard to live on a one-on-one shot diet in a conference like a defensive-minded conference like the Big Ten, where though that's everything that the conference is built on. Yet, Johnny Davis was one of the best offensive players in the country Keegan Murray had an even better offensive season than him, all things considered. And then you have Jay and who played in an offensive system that is not designed to take full advantage of the strengths that we at least want him to take better advantage of in the NBA. If he's going to hit his ultimate upside, like these guys were all three of them were in situations that didn't best suit the idea of showcasing what they can bring to the NBA, not just being good players in college. And yet they exceeded all expectations. They had tremendous years, full bodies of work. Yet it seems like the general public is, is low on, I I guess not necessarily as low on Ivy as the other two guys, but there seems to be disagreements out uh, about those three guys and where they might be slotted on, on big boards. And, I know you're going to go to war for a few of these guys, maybe, maybe potentially all three of them, Rucker. But like, I, I can't wrap my mind around any negative buzz about these three guys. They, you just you look at everything they did this year. I, I, I really can't find too many faults in the game. Like, I think all three of them have really legitimate cases to not just be good NBA players, but potential stars in the league and that's why i have all of them ranked where they are what are your thoughts about this grouping of big 10 guys
1: um so here we go let's 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 party let's do it all right um first of all i have the same order on my big board so i'm very proud of you for being an intelligent human being um <laughs> second we, we, all- that, that
0: seems to be like the consensus order around the majority of of no ceilings or at the yes. very least like this is the grouping of guys and four through six however you want to have them ordered is is your personal opinion but this seems to be the four through six and no ceilings for the most part
1: yes um and, and my second thought is my sizzling hot take that i had with metcalf at no ceilings um on the podcast was i was like is there a world where this trio has a better overall career than the top trio
0: Yes. And I the do answer think to that question
1: is yes. Yes. And I, and I do think that answer is yes, because I love every single one of these three. Like I, it's funny because I'll have them four, five, six, and I love them so much that I'm like, why don't I have them in the top three? <laughs> Cause it's just funny. Cause I love every, like, I just love the way they play the game. I think what they did, like you're talking about, what they did last year at college, they're going to go to a better place now like they're going to be in a better system for themselves to thrive and i really do think that's going to happen with each of these guys johnny davis
0: is not going to have to carry an offense where the only other shooter on the floor is brad davison like keegan murray is going to be able to get the ball in, in spots on a much more consistent basis to where he doesn't have to go hunt for the ball guys will be able to create more for him and ivy will actually have the damn ball in his hands, probably running an offense, not just having to play off of two guys, having to pass it out of the post every possession.
1: Right. So I love all of them. I think they're all going to be guys that wherever they get drafted, I'm going to be like, Oh boy, that team just got a dog. Like that team got a heck of a basketball player that has some really special tools. And, um, they're all gamers. They're all just going to do everything they can in their power to, to win. Um, and and, and I, I, Johnny's been one of those guys that I feel like some people have questions on. I absolutely love the way Johnny Davis played basketball on both sides of the ball. I think Jaden Ivey going to thrive at the next level. I think Keegan Murray is going to be one of the biggest steals in this draft, wherever he gets drafted. So I love those three. I, I really do think like if, if I was a team in the top 10, I'd be wanting like, oh, please get me one of those. Um, so I love them. I don't want to go too crazy because if I don't, if I talk any longer, I'm going to talk about them for five hours and <laughs> people have lives. They have to get on. They can't just hear me ramble about them each, but um, you know, um, at no ceilings um, tomorrow on Monday. Um, I'm going to have a piece with Nick about Keegan Murray. So that's where yes. you guys can read about that. And we're pretty oh. pumped about how that's shaping up and it's going to be a good one. So yeah, I love them all.
0: I'm, I'm glad we could shout out some of the writing that's going on in No Ceilings right now. If if you aren't subscribed to No com, I know we usually do this plug at the end of the podcast, but I don't know what you're doing if you're not subscribed to our written front at this point, but... In case you aren't and you missed it, I would strongly encourage you to go back and, and not just read the piece that will be coming out the day that this podcast is published where Rucker and, and Nick are going through Keegan Murray's game on an awesome team-up piece. But we've also done some team-up pieces on two other guys last week. Albert and Evan did an excellent job breaking down Dyson Daniels. Yes. Um, and, and Alex and Maxwell did an, an as-incredible job breaking down A.J. Griffin. These team-up pieces where we're able to have conversations with each other within the pieces, breaking down these top lottery prospects. It's one of the best ideas. I I think we've had all year at no ceilings for a series to do, and it's excellent content. And then obviously our lottery team previews are really nice compliments to what we're doing. We're publishing two times a week at this point on no ceilings, NBA.com. It's, it's draft season. Maybe we're pumping out all the content, but definitely make sure you're reading all those pieces. Okay. So, you're in the same spot as I am, those three guys four through six. Is is there anybody who you would consider possibly throwing in there at the last second to crash that four through six party, or are you pretty set on that order?
1: I'm pretty set on that order. I really am. Um you know, I, I, I just no one in that rest of that range is like when I get past six, me personally, um, when I get to seven. I feel like seven to 12 is just, I can change that order so much. I can, each day it can be a different, like, it's just crazy because I'm looking at my last big board now that I, what I did last week and and I'm already like, man, I can move two guys. And it's just annoying because I keep going back each day. So, um, but that top six is pretty, I think you're spot on. Um, when you came to that four, five, six and, and that's my four, five, six. So I get it, you know? They say geniuses think alike, you know, so I get it.
0: So this last, these last three guys, these last three guys on my board at the very top, number three, Jabari Smith, number two, Paolo Bencaro, number one, Chet Holbrin. What are your thoughts on that order in the top three? What are your, your parting thoughts about this top three? I'll have one more question for you after this, but since this is probably going to be the last time you're on this draft deeper podcast feed before the 2022 NBA draft, just get all of your thoughts out now about these top three guys. Cause I've certainly given plenty on this podcast feed, but one more parting shot from you about these three guys, where do you have them? Who do you feel the best about? What What are your thoughts on these three guys?
1: Man, you really made that emotional. I wasn't expecting that. Um,
0: <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm, I'm good at bringing the tears out of everybody on a podcast. <laughs> that's what I could do. So.
1: Um. No, I like, got, I got the same order. I feel pretty good about it. Um, I'm going to be fascinated. I I think the Jabari at one, it's got some steam. I think it's got some legs. Some people around the league believe it. Um, The more I keep watching Jabari, the more I'm impressed defensively. It's just been fascinating to keep watching him as a prospect and evaluate it. Um, I feel good about having Paulo at two. And I I like where you have him too. I I like your top three because I've had the exact same thing. Paulo's gonna go, he's gonna be fascinating because there's just some weird buzz around him. Um, I, I still think he's gonna be a sensational fit at three to Houston if he goes there, but you know, it's a popular time of the year for some weird buzz. So let's yes, see, let's see what let's see what happens. So um, but I like Paulo. I, I think he showed awesome signs in the second half of the year when it came to the playmaking upside. I thought he did a great job of of really becoming a more patient player with the ball in his hands and, and um, the shot selection improved, the numbers improved when it came to efficiency. And I've had Chet number one all year. The, and thin, man. the, the thin, thin man. We have the thin man
0: number one in
1: those The thin man. I'm going to go down swinging because I, I've loved everything I've, I've watched about him. Um, me and Corey are going to do a piece on Chet and, and that's coming soon too. So that one's going to be really fun to write because, you know, I'm going to, Go to war for the skinny guys around the <laughs> world. But uh no, I, I like Chad, just defensive special tools. I completely think that he has a lot of offensive upside and potential that he wasn't able to show at Gonzaga this year. And I think he's gonna be a, a special asset. And all Thunder fans hearing this are probably nodding their head in agreement because you know he's gonna be probably on the board at number two, hopefully, for them. So, um It's just going to be fascinating to see where these guys all end up because I think they could all have a heck of a career. Like this draft class has got some really special talent and I think there's going to be some really, really dang good basketball players from this class. Like I I think each of Chet, Paulo and Jabari, if they go to the right teams and the fits, I think they could be just outstanding guys for those are you
0: are you much higher on this draft class now at this point than where you were probably like four or five months ago Do you have a much better taste in your mouth about this draft class now
1: a little bit i still think there's just so much you know like that's after getting the evaluations and stuff, cause I've talked about this before. I can't stand when everyone's like this, this draft class is a bad year because then the week before everyone's like, Hey, there, there's executives that say this class is a lot better than we thought. And it's like, we do this every year stick with one side of the engagement or not, but you know, we're everyone listening. Like the odds are that we're going to get a class with the results of the last two classes, probably slim because that just doesn't happen all the time. And, and like, those are, proving to be historic draft, you know, years. Um, But I think the depth in this class is a little bit underrated because I'm not saying that there's going to be guys that go 38 that become starters, but I think there's going to be rotation pieces that could really help out um, all over the board. Like from what? I'm telling you, man, I keep saying it
0: that 25 to 40 range, I'm telling you multiple teams are going to strike gold. Telling. It's
1: unbelievable. The names, when you keep going through them, like I'll go through my big board and I go from 25 down. I'm like, man, this, this is wild. Like some of these names that are just still here, like, um, a guy that I'm starting to fall in love with Musa Dibate. Like he oh, could go yes. later and, yes. and, and, and he could go early. And I'd still think like, gosh, a couple of years, he could be a nice piece. Like, so there's just some really fascinating talent all over the board. And, um, you know, the draft is always fit dependent, but this year it's like, if we're going to watch the draft, with at no ceilings. And the moment some guys go some places, we're going to be like, Oh, that's a great fit. You know, like that's, that's got a chance to really click. So um, I, yeah, I'm excited, Nathan. What can I say?
0: My last question for you. Yes. Before we part ways on this podcast feed for the, before the 2022 NBA draft, if there's one thing, that you want to see on draft night? Just one thing that you want to see personally, what would it be? Could be anything. One thing you want to see.
1: Oh boy. One thing I want to see on draft night. I'm going to do a boring answer. Um, Guys that have kind of had their stock take a plummet this year. Um, Jaden Hardy, Patrick Baldwin, um, even Peyton Watson. I'm rooting for those guys to end up in a good place because I, th- I still think they got a lot of talent waiting to be unlocked. Um, I never root for anyone. Like, we never do it, no ceilings. We're never rooting for anyone to fail. But yep. it's not easy when you're a teenager and you have a bad year after you just got told for five years how good you were as a basketball player. So I'm rooting for those guys each to end up in a good team. Now, a good organization that's like, hey, we're going to – we still believe in your upside. We're going to install some confidence in you. It might take a couple of years, but you're going to be all right here. You're going to turn into something. So, um, yeah, I, I'm rooting for those guys to have good nights. Um, I Hopefully they don't, you know, if we want to call it fall, like don't fall down too much in the draft, but hopefully they all end up in a spot where they could potentially have some success and turn into sleepers, so – yeah, I'm not gonna do the funny answer that you were probably predicting. Sorry. My, my, if my answer. If Yovich goes to the Nuggets though, I'm gonna lose yes. my mind, Nathan. That it's is one of funny. that is
0: one of my answers I could whip out. No, listen, I, man, you might you might not have to worry about it. If that buzz is real and he's got a promise somewhere in the teens, the, the nuggets do not pick in the teens. You might not have to worry about it. We so talked might, about this.
1: We talked about this on the no ceilings pod earlier this year. You're going to make me find the clip for social media. If if Jovic goes to the Nuggets with Jokic on the roster, that is going to be like, we're going to have to get therapy for play-by-play guys. It can't happen. It, It Silver's going to call in the league and be like, we can't allow this. Can you imagine having to try to? Could, could you that imagine if, if,
0: Could you imagine if? Marv Albert was still calling games? Oh my in god! TNT broadcast. You'd yet have to it.
1: mute it. You'd have to mute it. <laughs> you couldn't do it. I, I'd be like, oh no, we got to take this off.
0: My my one thing I want to see for this draft, I want to see Johnny Davis go above ten. I want to see Johnny Davis be drafted in the top nine. I would love to see him drafted where I have him. I would love to see him in the top six because I think, I think he deserves it. I think he's gotten so much unjustifiable shit over the last few months, especially with how the Wisconsin season ended. I think it's rude. I think it's unfair. I think what that man did from essentially the end of November all the way through till the end of February, I don't think any of these prospects had to carry a larger load on both ends of the floor than he did. And I think he did a more than incredible job in doing so because he came from out of nowhere to get as high as he did on my board where I have him right now. I want to see that man get, get his just due. I, I want to see him go higher than the number 10 or number 11 where he's projected right now. So that's that's the one thing that I want to see personally um, on, on draft night. So I hear you. Oh.
1: I'm rooting for him, Nathan. I, I really do think he's going to go top 10. And if he doesn't go top 10, someone better ring the damn dinner bell and go up and get him because that's right. he's going to be a steal.
0: That's right. Rucker, we did it. We made it. This is where we're about as close as as you and I are going to be on this feed to the 2022 NBA draft. I've thoroughly enjoyed covering this draft with you, my friend. You've hopped on for quite the number of Draft Deeper podcasts. I'm excited to have more members of the No Ceilings crew all over the Draft Deeper podcast feed this week. Um, You guys are are my brothers. We're all like family, and this year has been an honor in – joining up with everybody at no ceilings and covering the draft like no one else has been. Um, so I, I, I thank everybody for the opportunity. I thank you for coming on the podcast and the fact that we're going to be able to keep doing this well after the 2022 NBA draft. Um, I'm looking forward to all the future content we're going to keep doing,
1: brother. I am too, sir. Easiest decision I've ever made in my life. And I, I, I'm really pumped for, uh, the draft and, and the future and gosh, you know, I look back like a year ago. I'd barely done any podcasts, and now I'm doing. You're like a veteran. Forty episodes with the one and only Nathan Grubel on, on Draft <laughs> Deeper. Like this is, this is heaven, baby. And we're only trending in the right direction. So, um, yeah, no ceilings. Crew is, is is as close as family could possibly be to me, and I'm excited, man. I can't believe we're we're gonna be ten days away tomorrow morning. Like that's, I don't even need coffee. That's unbelievable to think about for the draft. And wow. Buckle up, Nathan.
0: Dude, do your plugs, man. Do do the damn plug. Do the damn plug every time you do when you're on this podcast. Do it. I'm
1: at Tyler underscore Rucker and Backcourt V on Twitter. And then tomorrow I'm going to be bringing some heat. While you guys are listening to this at Monday morning, if you haven't gone on noceilingsmba.com, what are you doing? Go back in the house. Turn on the computer. Put it in the URL go read my work. I'm going to write about Keegan Murray and tell everyone why they're crazy to be overthinking them. And, and Nick's with me and we're on that same boat. So um, Nathan, as always, thank you so much for for having me on. And I'm so excited. I'm, I'm ready to roll.
0: And thank you everyone out there who listened to this episode of the Draft Deeper podcast. If you're not following me on Twitter, please go do so at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and make sure you're everything no ceilings not just noceilingsmba.com for all the written work make sure you're subscribed to not only this podcast feed but the no ceilings NBA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts as well as the draft act please go subscribe to all three of our shows we're pumping out incredible content all the way up through and and well after the draft so please continue to support all of our shows and go buy that damn merch baby not just the draft guide which has gotten rave reviews on Twitter for anybody who's flipped through the whole draft guide and picked it up, make sure you go buy some merch too. at no still NBA that big cartel.com. Rucker. I sent, I sent Corey my, my merch order this afternoon. I can promise you it was a very large merch order. I cannot wait to parade every single thing around my house, around my workplace at the beach. When I finally get away after the draft, I cannot wait to show it off to everybody because the job that everybody did who contributed to that merch line is incredible. And I love every single one of them. And the fact that we've gotten to see our merch all over social media this week has been absolutely awesome. I'm so proud and so thrilled of what we're going to continue to be putting out for everybody. So if you want to be one of the cool kids, hop on the train first, go buy some merch, no so But thank you all for listening again to this podcast plenty more coming for me but until then hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week thank you very much